as we continue our conversations with those in franchising, the hope is that you can extract uh, some good nuggets to help you on whatever your vision, mission, values, dreams are as a franchisor. Today, we're joined by or with Mike McFall from Big B Coffee to talk about what he looks for when it comes to franchisees. Coming up next. Mike, it feels like we just talked to you yesterday. Uh, that was 2020 during uh, COVID, but everything seems yesterday uh, in today's time. So thanks uh, thanks for joining Charles and I again. I would love for you, because I, I think it's important, position what's going on with the brand, what success look like today, how you feeling about things, just an opening state of the union. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me again, by the way. And, uh, you know, right now uh, we are um, we're in a what I would consider to be a high growth uh, moment uh, for our company. And you know, we're just <clears throat> we're shy of 300 stores open uh, by, by just a couple. Uh, we've been opening stores uh, one to two a week now for for going on a couple of months. Um, the, the really interesting number in our world is is that we have 160 in the queue uh, and these, you know, these are actual signed franchise contracts. These aren't development schedules. I mean, these are stores that will be open in the next, you know, anywhere from 12 to 18, maybe up to 24 months. But uh, and that, you know, that's what we're really focused on is making sure that we get those open in a healthy way. Um, and you know, taking care of the franchise owners, especially the the group. About half of those are new franchise owners, and so you know, taking care of those people uh, in a really healthy way, so they have a good experience in their opening and and uh, and get off to a good start. Uh, you know, when somebody's on their fifth, their sixth, their seventh store, it's not as it's not as uh, you know, we're we're not as relevant anymore to them. And but but it's you know, it's ha- we got we got eighty stores that are new franchise owners that we got to take care of in the next couple of years, and that's really what we're focused on. Mike, you know, so many times working with startup franchisors, your website is one of the first things I take them to. And it's and beyond the website, it's your story, what you guys are focused on. Outside looking in, to me, Big B is a big story about culture and brand. Charles, we, I think we lost you. We lost you there. I'm going to remove him and let him come back in. Yeah, sure. I was going to ask you talk talk about how culture is impacting the franchise development side. Well, you know what we hope for, and what we we believe is happening uh, is that you know we're communicating who we are. Uh, we're putting our you know our our purpose on the line. Uh, you know what we're up to, uh, and and then the idea is is that that will attract uh, franchise owners that align with that. And and people will either self-select in based on our culture, and people will self-select out, and that that's great. You know, we we want we only want franchise franchise owners getting involved that really align well with the work that we're in the middle of, and the work that we're in the middle of is is to prove out, frankly, that that in, that, a, that a workplace and an environment uh, uh, can be a loving, supportive, nurturing environment and be one heck of a company right and and that you know the days of of people being looked at as as you know assets uh that you invest in uh in order to like, sort of like a machine you know that people are sort of like machinery capital investments those days are are, 
are, are, are coming to an end. And, and we, we've always believed in this and, and we've, we've just been able to articulate it very clearly in, in the past few years. And so our hope is, is that we're, we're, we're attracting franchise owners that believe in that too. And, you know, I'll tell you the franchise owners that do, um, the environments in their stores are incredible. Um, the, the culture is, is alive and well, and it makes for, for one, uh, successful business but frankly a, a really enjoyable business to run too mike with the with the depth of growth that you've had i mean majority of food brands which you're food adjacent um you have to have had a passion for the culture and the product before you inquire with 80 new franchisees are they coming to you still one degree separated from Big B, or are they looking at the category and they're coming to you as an operator that like coffee Hmm. I mean, that's an interesting question. So, so, you know, I've, I've always believed that they're coming to us because they know of us and that it's not the category. Um, maybe it's the category that gets them engaged and then they inquire and, and research and, and find us. Um, so, so, you know, I don't know. It's, it, is that sort of a cart and horse type type question? You know, it's like, um, I've always believed that people that inquire, they know who we are and they want to be a part of what we're doing. Um, but I, I, you know, the category itself is, has been so aggressive over the years that it would be naive to think that people aren't coming to us because of the category. Right. Let me see if Charles, is, are you back? Nope. No sound. Still, you, you're broken still. I'm removing you. There's a weird, there's a weird clicking <laughs> sound there. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. It's how, how technology works. Okay. So staying on that, when you've approved 80 franchisees into the system who are going to grow, you, I mean, and this might be a vulnerable question, but are, do you have any fear about making sure you're saying right, yes to the right people when you have that volume? And how do you manage that, like your internal gut and, and value system moving that fast through franchisees? Well, um, you know, this this may not be the the um, the standard answer to this question, <clears throat> but in my experience over the years, if you think that you can run a prospect through some kind of a personality profile and um, you have it kick out an answer as to whether somebody's, somebody's going to be successful or not, it just it doesn't work that way. And so what we try to do is we try to articulate as clearly as we can who we are and what it takes to be successful. And, and then the franchise owner elects to, to, to come on board. And, you know, the, the, in franchising, so much of the success of the individual unit is the mentality and approach of the individual franchise owner. And so if, if, we, can, if we can just articulate as clearly as possible what it is that we think it takes to be successful, you know, the other piece of this that's, that's relatively new in our world is that we've developed a, what's called an area representative model. And so we now have very sophisticated, experienced franchise owners in local marketplaces supporting these new stores opening. It's a, it's a really different kind of model um, than, than sort of the corporate entity-based model. And we're seeing like great results from that. Um, I think that the franchise owner, I, I was just in Cincinnati not too long ago, and we've got a ton of activity happening there. And, and I went to a meeting with the franchise owners and our, our representative. And 
you know, one of the franchisees <laughs> stood up in the meeting and it was like, you know, Mike, I don't think you understand what we're doing down here. Like, we're going to kill it. We're out. This is a, this is a great group. And, and so they've really built this really strong nucleus of culture in the Cincinnati market. And they're all taking care of each other. Uh, they're being coached and led by our our area representative there named Shanna. And and they're doing great, you know. And so so that's a that allows us, I think frankly, to scale more aggressively because we have this local representation that's taking care of that new franchisee. You know, I think it'll, it'll be interesting where the, where the story goes long after this moment because in, in the history of area reps, call it the, the Subway brands or the Fantastic Sam's, it ended up failing. But I think it was, it was because the franchisor wasn't protective of the culture at the person that was coming in. They came with the right cash. They were like, I can, I can buy this, but they didn't have the bones or the fundamentals beyond it. And I, I see this like the, the purchase or the buyback of area reps and in, in brands that, have, that went that pathway. And it sounds right in the, in the philosophical sense that you're going to take a representative and put them in a market and let them grow the culture and the, and the franchisees. But oftentimes, I, I don't think the check mark is done to say, will this person follow our values? And what I'm hearing, because you just have that in Cincinnati, you have franchisees saying, Mike, we're going to crush it down here. Like, you know that the culture is, is still the same that's coming out of Michigan. Well, and I think one of the big differences here, too, is that you know, we don't charge for our area representative territories. So we're not we're not. We're not taking somebody and saying, hey, we're, we're going to charge you 400,000 bucks for the rights to have, you know, this population. And and so, you know, when when somebody folds into our world, they just automatically start getting paid. Right. But then they have to live up to the standard. And it's a different mentality. Like we didn't want to become that company that is out there peddling uh, geography for area reps because like all of a sudden it's it, the area representative program works when the area representative is entrepreneurial and is all in on supporting the brand in the fundamentally positive ways, which is store level performance. And we, we, it is not a development contract. It's not about selling contracts. It's about the health of the marketplace. And yeah. so in a, the huge part of the health of the marketplace is how's, how are the stores performing in your, in your area? And so, so yeah, I think um, there is some risk, right, culturally that it's going to go, but there's that risk in franchising no matter what, right, that, that some, somebody's going to come on board in, a, in an individual store and not represent the brand the way you want them to. I guess it, it's, uh, but we know these, these ARs much better than, than we ever would a, a new franchisee coming on. You have to own a store, you have to have stores open in order to apply to become an AR and so on. See, I think that that's that's the trick here, and and whether it's being done purposeful or not, like the blueprint of franchising exists, and you're 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 following it adjacently. But you know, if you told Brand X that we're not going to charge for this, and here's our model to get someone up, and here's how we're going to protect our culture, like you're out of your mind. Go get go get the 400k for selling out of the market, and you're like, cool, but for the long term success and health of our business, we're not going to do that. Right. And so you're you're anti-franchising, franchising at, at, at the same time. Yeah, it, you know, it was a fundamental decision. Um, and, you know, what we want is we want 
area representatives that are are solely focused on the same things we are, right? Which is store level performance, uh, profitability of the unit, uh, revenue at the unit, and and so on. And so that's built right into our to our contracts. They have to meet certain criteria. And you know what? If they don't, and we take the territory back, they didn't pay anything for it, right? right? They just didn't perform. And so it's a lot easier to do that than when somebody strokes you a check for half a million bucks, right? Uh, and and so, yeah, and, and we've always, always, always lived off the mantra of we will make our living off the royalty stream, not off of initial fees. And, 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 and you know, I know that that's, that is probably a very simple premise, but I, I think that there's there's a lot of franchisors, especially new ones, that, that um, live off that initial fee revenue. And that's a really dangerous way to live. And so, you know, same as, you know, could we have generated a few million bucks in the past, you know, four years over selling these areas? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we could have, but it's, it would set the relationship up on the wrong premise. Well, and, and what you're saying, like, I, yeah, you, you make that million bucks today or whatever it is. But the reality is it's it's just deferred income. Like it's going to come later on because it can come in form of successful franchisees paying more royalty because they're they're happier, which also drives more more revenue. It's, I mean, it's it's just where are you going to pull the chips off the table? It just doesn't happen now. And I think most most startup franchisors are like, ooh, I got a check for thirty grand. I'm I'm going to use this. I'm going to buy a boat. I mean, but it's. <laughs> It's early, it's early, early mindset versus how we play for the, for the long Yeah, Yeah. Um, let me see if Charles is working now. Now? Am I, am I working? You're back. I actually was just listening because I, I enjoyed what Mike's, Mike's approach. And I'm totally out of sequence on the conversation. But the question I wanted to ask, Mike, I made a list. And these are like when you make stupid lists. Because the real answer to my question is, well, Charles, both are important. What's more important, though, a great branding culture or a great product? I don't think in the end you can get anywhere without great product. Okay. So, so I think fundamentally the product you offer has to be strong and solid and good of good quality. Um, but, I mean, you know... Th- one second later, I would say, but you've got to have the right culture and branding too. So, so they sort of, you know, they go, they go part and parcel, they go together. Um, but I, you know, I think fundamentally we've always believed that the product you, you know, that cup of coffee you serve, it, it just has to be a great cup of coffee period. Um, and everything else builds on that. So I would say that that's where it starts, but, uh, culture and branding and culture is, is, is like the next, the very next step. Right. And, and you can't ultimately have a great culture or brand without a great product. So it happens. But there's so many franchisors out there that may have a great product. They may have a great service. How it's translated to franchise buyers, how it's translated to employees, how it's translated to team members. The connection isn't there and then the product suffers. So... How do you take an emerging brand, a startup franchisor, how do they reach the tipping point on culture? Well, so, I mean, if we're talking startup, I think that 
I have, I have a concept in my, my book that I wrote, write about called the bumper sticker, right? And the bumper sticker is, you know, you've got four words to communicate who you are and what you do. And, and you need to figure out what that is. You need to boil down what you are, uh, who you are and what you do into four words. And, and then you need to live up to those. So, so to me, that's, that's branding in a, in a, in a nutshell, right? Um, and I, that's, I love to, I love to think about it that way. Now you took us one step further, which is culture. And, you know, culture to me is, is, is a different kind of question than branding and or product and culture involves sort of your spirit and, 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 and how you interact with the world. So, so your brand is like the messaging, the product's obviously the product. And then the culture is how do you interact with the world? What, what is the, what is the way that people can expect you to behave, whether it's an employee, a vendor or a customer or whoever. Uh, and, and like for us, you know, we always, our culture has always been, you know, we've always tried to be like, I mean, Bob and I, from the early, early days, we always had a very hospitable culture, right? Like the kind of culture where we, people felt good interacting with us uh, and hospitality is, is what we do. Right. And, and, and so, you know, if it wasn't coffee, I know we would have ended up in, in some other kind of hospitable um, uh, uh, company or brand and so on. And so that to me is like sort of that next level question. First, it starts with product. Then you move into your brand, which is kind of your promise of, of, of what you're offering, who you are and what you do. But then your culture is, is this is how we behave, right? This is how we interact with the world. When you're, when you're obviously everything is coming together now and the proof is in the, the, the depth of the growth that you're experiencing, like all, all the hard work that you've put in to get to this point as the future owner of the Detroit Detroit Red Wings, do you, do you pinch yourself or do you feel like you're just not, you're not there yet? Like do you get, do you get time to reflect on, you are in the less than percentage point of franchisors that is making it happen right now? You know, I, I, you know what this is like too. You both do. Um, you're just always worried about getting better. Hmm. It, it doesn't, <clears throat> I, I don't, I don't look at what we've done as extraordinary. I'm, I'm worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about yeah, how are we going to become the company we need to be in the next three to five to seven years. And it's always that way. Right. So, so, you know, when we had 30 units or 50 units or hundred units, it's, it's always about, okay, so what do we need to be doing right now to become at that, whatever that next, that next level is, Bob and I tend to live sort of five to 10 years out. Our, our leadership team lives in the two to three to five years out. Right. Um, and so we're very, Bob and I, we're very focused. I mean, you know, and probably annoyingly so uh, in our in, internally, uh, who the heck we need to be. And so there's very little, reflection or resting on our laurels or, you know, and, and that's, it's kind of sad in a way because, <laughs> you know, yeah, we did, we've been at this 25 years and, and we should probably take a minute to celebrate. We never do. 
we never ever celebrate or talk about. I mean, we're going to close 300 stores here any day. And, and uh, I don't even know when that's happening. I don't even really care because I'm, I'm at, okay, so how are we getting to 500? How are we getting to 1,000? And the thing, I, I, I teach a class and this pretty reflective student asked me, why are you so obsessed with growth? Like, why, why, is, it, why is it always growth? And, and it took me a second. And then my answer, and I've, I've, I've cleaned it up a little bit since then, but my answer was, because if you're growing, it means you're getting better and you're improving. And, and that to me is what needs to be our obsession right? Is how do we get better every single week? How do we get better every single month? What do we need to be doing now to get better? So, so growth to me is the demonstration of improvement. And that's the obsession, right? The obsession isn't with growth. It's about getting better and better and better at what we do. I think that's such a, even, even beyond business. I mean, that's, that's a human thing too. Like I, like you, I I think about it all the time. Like I'll say I, I use airplanes when we're we're taking off to use a great time to to say my my prayers. But I, I mean I, I say like mentally I, I I'm going to continue to fight to be a better better human. I say better. What I really mean is growth. Like I need to grow beyond what I am as a person. And I think that that's, that's a huge thing because it's, yeah you, you could get pressured into or you know someone who's reflective about it's growth means money. Growth doesn't just mean money. It means it means improvement. Well, and and I mean, if you if you dive into our whole story, Bob and I, it's sometime around 2015, 16, you know, it became pretty clear that Bob and I weren't going to have to worry about retirement and we weren't going to have to, you know, we're going to be able to put our kids through college. And 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 so then then what's it about, you know, and, and so that's where we got really sort of pensive and and um dealing sort of in the existential stuff right like what is this about and and so you know but again just the simple game of getting better is 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 what inspires i just yesterday sent my manuscript for my second book to the publisher right been working at it for two and a half years and and um it's gonna be called grow Uh, and it's 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 the moment so my book one was from concept to your first day of cash flow book two is from your first day of cash flow through to sustainability i'm defining sustainability as the entrepreneur can get run over by a bus and the company will continue to thrive and so 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 the amount of growth an entrepreneur has to go through from you know the bootstrapping stages of just beginning to cash flow to the point where they have a leadership team in place and they can get run over by a bus and the company will be sustainable that is it is mind-blowing the growth that 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 somebody has to go through and that's that's the that's the premise of book two so it comes full circle to uh to life goals i mean as you're speaking michael like i literally sit in my car and i'm driving in and i i'm like why are you obsessed with growth right and now my big challenge too as i'm listening to you speak is so how do you connect those dots to like personal and like the end goal with everything, right? Because I think you phrased it great because never, I guess it, it, it's always an evolution, right? So now more and more I'm focused on how does the organization exist without me? 
and honor everything that our teams put in. I never thought I'd be that person, right? But I guess that's stage of life, right? But but then, so I, I question because there's passion and it's enjoyable and you're helping, but so I get growth, you're measuring improvement. I, I guess it's just evolving in life. I mean, but how do you connect all of that to your personal life? So, you know, hopefully many years from now, your last breath is like, oh, this is how it all came together. Yeah, I think um, that's how we got into our into our purpose, right? And our purpose is our purpose is to support you in building a life that you love, no matter who you are. If we have interaction with you, that's our purpose. And the the vision around our, our organization is to improve workplace culture as a vehicle. Workplace can be a vehicle to support people in their own personal development and growth. And so I want. I mean, I have. I, I believe in visioning probably more than most. And I have this vision of, you know, being 75 years old, uh, being in a hotel ballroom uh, in Vegas, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And I'm, I'm done. I decide I'm done. Right. So I'm going to get up. I'm going to give my last little, little speech. And I know that this room is full of people that I've supported in building lives. They love. And that's it. And I, and I walk away and, and, and that, that is what we're doing now. Um, and it, the, the statement that I want to make to the world is that all of us have a responsibility. Entrepreneurs get businesses to some, some point of success or sustainability. And we all have incredible knowledge, incredible experience, vast resources. So, so then, so then now what's it about? And, and if it's about buying your third home and flying private, you know, sorry, I can't use the term I would, I would typically use in private, but, but like, like, no, like now we have the ability, we have the resources and I think the obligation to kick in and improve the human condition somehow. And pick your one way, pick your way that you're going to improve the human condition. And that's, that's the premise of my third book. And that's the book I've always wanted to write. That's the, that's the conversation I want to be having with the world. Um, and I think franchising is the most beautiful business model ever for what we're up to, right? Because we get to engage people in building businesses and building wealth. And then I get to have a conversation with them. Okay, so, so now what? I want to, I want to say a statement and then I, I want to ask my question, but my statement is, you know, I, I, I think anybody that's watching this, the, the reality is the reason you're not growing like Big B, I mean, it's a 25 year story. So it's not like this is overnight success. The reason you're not is because you don't think that way. You don't think about your franchisees as impact and growth and how am I going to make them better? You think of them as a dollar sign. And that's okay. There, there are brands that do this, but you want to know the difference between good and great. I mean, Mike, in my opinion, it's, it's what you're saying. I, it's literally giving me goosebumps because I think the answer is it's there. It's in good human beings. The question that I have, does so you go to 75, you're on this stage, there's thousands of people. Is that what scares you too? Because that puts, is that the pressure that's on you to not, not pause because you have this vision and you're like, I, I, while I have time on this world, I have to keep on impacting. Is that, is that what, is that a scare 
Is that something that you're afraid of too? Uh, no, <laughs> it excites me. I, I, there's no fear in that. Um, you know, I just think like I had this epiphany maybe four years ago, five years ago. I was kind of at the, I was at my country club. I'm a golfer, right? And so, so I belong to a country club, and it's a fairly, I mean, I don't want to say pretentious, but it's kind of a pretentious place. And and so, so I looked around and I was like, man, this place is full of a bunch of guys like me, you know, 50, 60 year old fat white dudes. And, and all we're trying to do hanging out with each other is prove who's richer. And like, no one's doesn't appear to be doing anything interesting. And I, and I just kind of like instantly decided that wasn't going to be my life and that I was going to stay in the game. Right. And I was just going to keep going and, and make it about this quest, right. This quest around, we all have an obligation. You know, we can't, Private enterprise is the most powerful force on the planet. By a factor of, I don't even know how many hundreds, it is the most powerful force on the planet. It has all the resources, it has all the smart people. And so those of us that control private enterprise, we have to get involved improving the human condition or we're all in a lot of trouble. No one else is going to do it. And no one else can do it, frankly, in my opinion. And so it's almost become a social quest for me. I still love the business and I still love running the business. I still love the brand. I still love what we do as a company, but, but what it's now become is for this other thing, not just about lining my pockets so I can buy a third house and fly private, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, that special moment you may never hear about by one of your franchisees, as they take their daughter or son to college for their first year and knowing they could pay for college, right? Or having those moments, that, that's the magic. And that's what politicians will never get. And that's what you're doing and entrepreneurs are doing and screw everyone else, Michael, in yeah. a good way. Yeah, yeah no, agree yeah. 100%. You know, and, and <clears throat> I, I, um, I have very large ambitions and goals and I, and I don't exactly know where the hell that came from. But, you know, what I what I love is hearing the stories. I, I had a franchise owner retire, um, what would have been, about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. And and she had called me and they were talking about selling their store and, and they wanted to know valuation. And I typically get involved in those conversations, just helping them kind of think about value and, and how, to, how to sell and so on. And so, um, you know, she had this number in mind, right? Um, and uh, And I was, and I just said, oh my gosh, like, you're like three X short of your number. And there was this long pause, right? And she, her voice, she came back and her voice was broken, right? She was obviously emotional. And it was one, it was such a powerful moment for me that, that I had created that with her, you know, that we had worked together. She's amazing. She did everything right. We just supported her. But I mean, the fact that she had that moment of like, it was worth three times what she thought it was worth. And she was okay with the original number, right? Like, oh, it was powerful. So that that's happiness for you then today. Yeah, sure. Of course, right? Like, like when somebody invested in a franchise with you, that there's if you as a franchisor don't take that on as serious responsibility then you know you're not in the business for the right reasons and and so but when you can have that successful outcome i mean it is that is just 
best joy. And, and, you know, they don't, they don't all work out that way. We all know that, right? Like there's people that struggle too. So for every, for everyone, there's struggles. There's uh, hopefully there's one that's succeeding that way too. Or as long as, long as the, the mission is we're going to, we're going to do our absolute best. Now we're going to always come halfway as a franchisor to give our absolute best to make you successful. As long as you're willing as a human being to come halfway, then we got a pretty good track record. If you're unwilling to come halfway, then, you know, but that's also on you as a human being too. Yeah. 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 Charles, final, final statement, comment. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan, Michael. And I, don't want to do disservice to your last story. I, I appreciate it. It's been uh, great talking to you again. You you always have yeah. uh, you have the right nuggets, and I, I you know the audience that will watch this will be small, but I think your impact to them should be quite large. And well, you might never hear it, but Nick, I'm fighting the urge to go buy a Big B coffee right now and just <laughs> operate it next to our law firm. I'm thinking we could put. Oh, Michael, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. All right.